So I want us in this time to consider some of the practical faithfulnesses that pastors especially are called to, because in learning this one central role, we learn more about a church as a whole, what it's to value and how it is to function. But before we do that, I want to make sure you notice probably the most important thing in this passage. If you look there in verse 4, it's right there in verse 4. Peter writes of Jesus Christ as the chief shepherd. He is the good shepherd. He is the good shepherd. Uh, you can tell because good leaders, the good, the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. And while in a metaphorical fashion, Tabidi may be doing that right now, he's not done that like Jesus did that. And even if he were to die for Anacostia River Church, it would do you no good. Not the kind of good that it did Jesus dying for you. So his death for us is a unique provision. So even the best of shepherds cannot provide what the true chief shepherd has done. So take hope from verse 4 that when the chief shepherd appears, elders, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. So that's what a good leader, a good shepherd, a good pastor does. He lays down his life for his sheep. And we've read of pastors doing this. We've heard of pastors doing this. I, I trust many of you have been in churches before this where you have seen pastors do this. And praise God for that. But this is the place now where God has called you, Thabiti, especially to do this. And what a fruitful first year you've had, brother. Praise God for the testimonies we've heard and, and even more that we know if we could listen in to people's hearts, uh, we would see more of God's work. Well, so to that end together, on this special day, I simply want to share with you some reflections on four crucial aspects of gospel ministry that God has called this church to, and especially the elders in this church, and most especially your main teaching pastor. And as I do that, I pray you will be especially reminded and encouraged and that your church will be built up. So four simple points. Number one, preaching. So if you're taking notes, here they are. I'm going to make it real simple. Number one, preaching. When I first interviewed with the pulpit committee at our church, I said that I was happy to see every aspect of my public ministry fail if it needed to, except for the preaching of God's Word. I wanted to make it clear that if they were looking to hire somebody to keep this or that program going, they got the wrong man. I was happy to see everything fail except the preaching of God's Word if it needed to. Friends, there is that kind of, of focusness on the pastoral ministry of the preaching of the Word. What I wanted to get across there is that the one thing that's biblically necessary for building the church. Others could do everything else. Uh, now, there weren't any other recognized elders at the time, so I was the only one they were talking to. But the Word of God, I knew, would be the fountain of our spiritual life, both as individuals and as a congregation. And I think that's what you've seen here. This church has grown around the faithful preaching of God's Word. That's what God, the Holy Spirit, uses to give the gift of faith. It's as God's promises are held out that Abram believes them and heads toward the promised land. It's as the promises are held out that you hear of new life in Christ, you believe Him and are born again. It's as God's promises are held out that you are changed. So brothers and sisters, pray for our brother Thabiti that he would be faithful in his preaching. God's Word has always been His chosen instrument to create, to convict, to convert, to conform His people. He uses His Word to create faith. Just here's some verses. 1 Thessalonians 2.13. 1 Thessalonians 2.13. Paul says, When you received the Word of God which you heard from us, you accepted it, not as the Word of men, but for what it really is, the Word of God, which also performs its work in you who believe. 
So the word of God performs the work of God. Hebrews 4.12, for the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword and piercing as far as the division of the soul and the spirit of both joints and marrow and able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. God's word gives new birth. James advises in James 1, in humility, receive the word implanted, which is able to save your souls. So the word saves us. Peter also claims regenerating power for God's word in 1 Peter 1. For you have been born again, not of seed which is imperishable, uh, not of seed which is perishable, but imperishable. That is through the living and enduring word of God. And this is the word which was preached to you. So friends, there is creating, conforming power in the word of God. The gospel is God's way of giving life to dead sinners, of creating new churches like he has here. He doesn't have another way. That's it. If you want a true gospel church, that will only be created through the gospel being preached. So if you want to establish a living congregation, if you want to see this church grow and mature, to continue to see it progress in holiness and health and happiness, then you have to work for it according to God's revealed mode of operation, and that is his word. Otherwise, you could probably build a very large and apparently successful church, but you would be running in vain. It is this that you're to do. God's word is his supernatural means of accomplishing his supernatural work. That's why Thabiti's eloquence, or his deep voice, or your clever innovations, or, or the programs you have in the community are all so much less important than we think. That's why we as pastors must give ourselves to preaching. That's why we need to be teaching our congregations to value God's word. Preaching the content and intent of God's word is what God uses to call and to build up his people. God's word builds his church. So preaching his gospel is primary. I love the way, I was in Isaiah earlier this week. I love the way he says this back in Isaiah chapter 8. You don't need to turn there. I'll just turn there real quickly. Isaiah chapter 8. Well, I mean, also 55 about his word will accomplish what he said. But anyway, Isaiah 8 verses 19 and 20. Here I am, and the children the Lord has given me. We are signs and symbols in Israel from the Lord Almighty who dwells on Mount Zion. When men tell you to consult mediums and spiritists who whisper and mutter, should not a people inquire of their God? Why consult the dead on behalf of the living? To the law and to the testimony. If they do not speak according to this word, they have no light of dawn. Friends, people around you are lost. They are going to start trusting in this horrible, idolatrous casino that's being built down on the Beltway. Have you seen that? I'm sorry if some of you are going to have jobs there, but that, the, the Maryland legislature that passed that should be ashamed. They put that thing that they know is going to prey on the weakest people in the state, and they put it right there, and they know that those people are going to do nothing but bit hurt from that. They do it cynically because they get the money. Friends, that is not what should be happening. Those kinds of things are not the things that bring life. There are false promises that are held out to you all the time. The true promise is in Jesus Christ. The true promise is in the life he will give you, the life he can bring you, and you're only going to get that from the preaching of the word. It's not going to come from anything else. So that's why Paul says to Timothy, preach the word. Be instant in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering. Endure, endure hardship. Do the work of an evangelist, fulfilling your ministry. So, so church members, why aren't I just saying this to Thabiti? Why aren't I just taking him out to coffee and saying this all to him? Because you need to know this. 
You are the ones who hold him accountable. You're the ones who pray for him. You're the ones who help him to see what he should be doing and help him keep focused on the main thing. You know, when I first came to Capitol Hill Baptist Church, it was full of a lot of people much older than I am now. So very old people. And I bet you I had four lunches with older men who said to me individually and in private, preacher, when I have a heart attack, because I will, do not come visit me in the hospital. What an odd thing to say to your pastor. I said, why is that? They said, because you need to give your time to preaching the word. That's what our church needs. And if you're not careful, we're a church of old people. You're going to spend all your time in hospitals. And we don't need a chaplain. We need a preacher. Friends, you can be chaplains for each other. But you need somebody in this church that God has called and dedicated to the preaching of his word. And right now, that is our brother Thabiti. Pray for this man. Pray that this pastorate will be healthy and that this local church will prosper as a result. That's number one, preaching. Number two, prayer. Brother, in your personal life, pray. In your home, pray. In your your meetings with others, pray. In your elders' meetings, pray. In your members' meetings, pray. In, In your public services, devote so much time to prayer that those who are nominal Christians are bored by all the time you spend talking to the God they only pretend to know. Just just pray. Just spend time praying. Act like God is really there. Just pray. Make it clear that if this work is going to grow, it is going to be based upon the work of God. It is not fundamentally going to be a human work. The time we give in prayer shows our dependence on God. It honors the Lord. It shows him as the source of all blessing. It reminds us that converting individuals and growing churches are his work, not ours. Jesus reassures us that if we abide with him and his words abide in us, that we can ask anything according to his will and he will give it to us. What a promise. Friends, what should you pray then? The store is open. The prices are gone. He's paid them all. It's completely legit. Go in and pray. What would you like to see the Lord do here in Anacostia? What would you like to see the Lord do throughout the district? What would you like to see the Lord do in Prince George's County and throughout Maryland? What would you like to see the Lord do around the country? What would you like to see the Lord do around the world? Pray. Pray. Put words to your prayers so other people can join you in those hopes. Pray. Pray when you're together. Pray when you're in private. Show that you depend upon the Lord. What should you pray for? I have five suggestions. Number one, what more appropriate prayer could a pastor pray for his church than the prayers that Paul prayed for the churches he planted? So you look in those New Testament letters by Paul. You've got at least 13 of them. And look and see those prayers that are there in almost every one of them. And let those shape your own prayers. It would be great, wouldn't it, if some Christian brother who actually understood the New Testament well had taken time to write a book just on the prayers of Paul, you know? So we could just study along with them and be instructed in the, oh, I got two copies here of a book by D.A. Caution called A Call to Spiritual Reformation, Praying with Paul. Uh, These are about to be given free of charge, not to anyone who already has copies, uh, not to anyone who's already read it, but to somebody who does not have a copy and who will read it this year. So you can't just put this on your shelf for reference. But if you, have a, if you do not have a copy and you'll read it this year, you, you get a copy. All right? All right. Yeah, I'll just start right here. Hey, man. Just gave it to you out of habit, Rick. So 
So pastors instruct church members that one of their most important ministries is praying for them. So pray for Thabiti. Pray for Matt. Pray for Jeremy. Number two, pray that Thabiti's preaching of the gospel would be faithful and accurate and clear. Three, pray for the preaching, uh, for the maturity, rather, of the congregation. Pray that ARC would grow up in corporate love and holiness and sound doctrine, and that the testimony of the church and the community would be distinctively pure and attractive to unbelievers. Four, and just on that, when when you're praying for ARC to grow, you realize you don't mainly want people to transfer here from other gospel-preaching churches. It's okay. I mean, some of you have left our church to come here. That's fine. You know, if you're going to try to help another church or you think you'll grow better in place, that's absolutely fine. But a church wants to grow from non-Christians coming to Christ. And brothers and sisters, my guess is you've got a lot of people around you who do not know the Lord. That's who you want to be giving your time to during your week and your evenings. That's who you want to be praying for. That's who you want to be having in your homes. Love these people. Pray for them. Uh, Care for them. You don't have to see them come to Christ this week or this year. You just want to see them come to Christ before they die. Just love them. Be faithful to them. And pray that God would bring them to know himself. Number four, pray for sinners to be converted. There we go. And the church to be built up through the preaching of the gospel here. And number five, pray for opportunities yourself to be to do personal evangelism. I know you do this, brother, but I think it's a good thing for you to pray for. One of the crosses of being a pastor is really, it's the relinquishing of personal evangelistic opportunities. You get this opportunity, which is great, preaching to, speaking to a lot of non-Christians I don't even know, but because, of, because I'm laboring to do this and prepare messages like this, I don't have a normal job like so many of you have where I'm around non-Christians all the time. And if you're really a Christian, that's actually a cross. So for me, that was a downside of going to the pastorate. Because when I'm out in the world with my job, Monday to Friday, 9 to 5, I have like free evangelism all the time. You know? But as a pastor, I have to kind of give that up and go hang around Christians all the time, which I'm happy to do. But I would really like to tell non-Christians about the gospel. And it's just, it's just not as easy to do when you're spending all the time, you know, working on the church and praying for you and working on messages. So pray for the beady to get to have some air, to come up with some good relationships with non-Christians around him. Pray the Lord give him wisdom and to know how he can do that. Anyway, pray, I think, about all of these things. Advertise your dependence on God. And don't forget to pray personally. Do you guys have a membership directory? Amen. Well, take that membership directory and use it as your prayer list. Uh, the pastors should not be the only people praying for this church daily. You, you all have covenanted together to be a church. That means you've taken responsibility for each other. You need to be praying for each other uh, every day as you work through that directory. I try to pray through our directory uh, at least once a month. Through, I get through the whole thing. And so praying for everybody by name, you want to do that as well. So model for your congregation faithfulness in prayer. Pray for them particularly. If, if, you, if ARC continues to grow and you find there are people here you don't know that well personally, that's okay. Pray for them anyway. Pray for things that you've been reading about yourself in the Word or that you've been convicted about and start praying those things for other people. Pray for whatever the points of the Beatty's sermon were last Sunday. Just pray for those things in the life of the people that you don't know so well. Give yourself to prayer. All right, that's number two. Number three, personal discipling relationships. The Beatty, one of the most valuable and biblical and really, I think, special uses of your time as a pastor Uh, as the pastor of this church, is the opportunity you do have to cultivate personal discipling relationships in which you regularly meet with people one-on-one to build them up and to do them good spiritually. Now, honestly, I do not need to say much about you to you about this, because you're a master at this. Uh, You and and your dear wife are so kindly, uh, hospitably interjecting yourself into people's lives regularly uh, that it's... uh, 
But I'm going to say a few things publicly just so everybody else is instructed. Not because I have any imagination that I'm instructing you in this. But it's, it's a good thing for you to give yourself specifically to help other people grow. So church members, just to be clear, you hurt and you, you really hurt yourself and you discourage your pastor when you are jealous of friendships that he may have. You know, Thabiti and Christy are real people and they are not going to know everybody equally. They just can't. Life doesn't work like that. And you need to be mature enough emotionally and spiritually to let them have friends. So let them have friends. It's okay. I would say if you're not going to let them have friends, if you're just going to be jealous and envious and backbiting about it, just fire him now and he'll have a better life. You know, <laughs> he'll, he'll be able to go someplace where he can have friends. But I would just exhort you, you know, let your pastor have friends and know that anyone who grows from spending time with him is going to turn and be a blessing to others. So it's a way the whole church is helped. So, and, and members, by all means, join with your pastors in this ministry. Have meals with each other. As you get to know them, you know, do things like reading that book that I just gave to, to Ricky and to Juana uh, with. It's just wonderful things to try to think about God's word together. And really, even if you find a book useful, all that's doing is an introduction to get you into each other's lives, to get you to spend time together, to learn about what's going on, to share and to pray together. I think the practice of personal discipling is helpful on a number of fronts. It's obviously a good thing for the person who's being discipled because they're getting biblical encouragement and advice from someone who may be a little further on in their life stages uh, or in their walk. In this way, I think discipling can function as another channel through which the word flows into the hearts of the members of the church. So we realize it's not just through the sermon on Sunday morning, though that's the, the main highway, but there are also a lot of other streets the Lord means to use to get the word into his people. Uh, there are going to be reasons that we meet up with somebody, that we study the word together. So it doesn't have to be somebody who's on staff at a church or somebody who's a super Christian, but I want you to understand that you should be helping other people grow in Christ. A basic part of what it means for you to follow Jesus is you helping other people to follow Jesus. If you're not helping other people follow Jesus, I'm not entirely sure what you mean by you saying that you are following Jesus. So just understand, this is basic. If you love the Lord, you'll love those whom you can see. And to love them means to help them know more of God. So, ARC, you members need to know that spiritual maturity is not simply about somebody's time in prayer or time reading the Bible, but it, it's in their love they show for other believers. It's in that concrete expression that they have in doing that for others. Just pastors here, another healthy byproduct of your personal discipling of other members is that it helps break down any defensive resistance that may grow up to the ministry of the elders. You know, pastors have a great job, but it's a hard job in some ways. If you're a pastor of a church of any side, uh, the sun will not rise on a day in which people do not say bad things about you. It just goes with the territory. So if you're going to be all sensitive and thin-skinned to think the world's about you, stay away from the pastoral ministry. That is not a good thing to go into. But you'll know that in the pastoral ministry, you are called to give yourself in love and service for others. And you want to open up your lives to others. You want to bring them in and let them see that you're genuinely concerned for their spiritual welfare. And you trust that God will do good for that. And you trust that even in that, you're being a model of developing those kinds of relationships. Uh, it's a wonderful thing to have a church that lets you do that. 
Jeremy McLean, I remember one time saying in a conversation, I was in with him and a number of people, uh, somebody from another church was commenting on our church, uh, having been to one of our elders' meetings, about what wonderful pastors we had at our church. And by God's grace, it's true. Uh, the Lord has been really kind to us and the elders that he's given us. But Jeremy, just very wisely, as is typical of the brother, said, after that comment was made, he said, that's true. You know, it's also God's kindness to us that we have sheep who want to be shepherded. It's also God's kindness to give us a flock that knows they need shepherds and they want the shepherds. Brothers and sisters, I got to tell you, that's true. As somebody who probably uh, an unusual number of pastors pour their moans in his ear, a lot of pastors, uh, are, that from what I can tell, are pretty good guys, will have sheep sometimes who are, you know, they don't spend a lot of time really wanting there to be a pastor. They bite, they kick. You know, when all that pastor is trying to do is do good to them spiritually, they're not getting anything out of them. And you as a congregation want to pray, not that you're gullible. That's why I'm teaching you, so you won't be gullible. Fire him if he does the wrong stuff. But if the brother is doing the right stuff, you just want to thank God for him and encourage him. You want to be the, congregation, the kind of congregation that Jeremy mentioned that day that wants to be pastored that wants to be shepherded. You want to be the kind of church that pulls the preaching of God's word out from the preacher. That when the preacher gets up here and starts giving you something thin and shallow, and maybe not quite exactly biblical, but it's a cool idea, or maybe not how you would have first read that Bible verse, but okay, maybe it could mean that. When he starts doing that, fire him. Just get rid of him. You know, you want somebody up here who's going to tell you the truth. And you want to be the kind of church that demands the truth. You know, oh, uh, I've got one brother who, who is struggling with one thing in particular, and he'd be well served by going to church someplace else. But he tells me he wants to be in our church where he will hear that truth being preached. That's a brother I want to reflect on and grow from. That brother is discipling me by that kind of dogged commitment. Friends, that's the kind of discipling we want to see in our churches. Uh, people who know that this is God's truth and who want to give themselves to this truth. Much more I could say on that, but let's go on to number four, patience. And what a good word for an anniversary, patience. So Thabiti, I'm not going to ask you in public, but I wonder, did everything happen in the first year you thought would happen? Did everything happen in the first year you hoped would happen? Don't answer. Don't answer out loud. But I just wonder what the Lord is doing in your own heart with your own idols or with your own place where your faith is too small. Or he's saying, come on out here. No, 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 I mean to give you this, brother. Look, look at all this I'm going to do. I think one of the main things that's wrong with our plans is we're just not as wise as God. You know, we might plan to do all this stuff. Cool, isn't it? And God looks at it and he goes like, yeah, I can see why you'd like that. But actually, this is what I want to give you. And you look at it and you go like, oh, that is so much better than what I was thinking about. But sometimes those so much better plans take longer than we would like. They're not instant. It's easier to have a kid than to raise a kid, you know? So, congrats on the first anniversary. You're just getting started. <laughs> There's a lot more ahead of you. You understand that? There's just a lot more to come. I don't know what all it's going to be. You've already had trials in your first year. There'll be more to come. But never one where God will not be faithful. And that's why we as his children have to be patient. We trust him. We trust him. The ark of God's promises in Scripture, again and again, are very long. Have you ever read, tried to read through the Old Testament? It is a long book. Many people die along about Leviticus. You know, <laughs> you know, 
I'm going to read through the Bible this year. Sure enough, in February, they get busy and do other things, you know. But, but the Bible is a long book because from Abraham on, there are about 1,500 to 2,000 years of history in that because God keeps his promises over a long period of time. And we, in our own fleshly impatience, we like microwaves. We like microwave promises. We like a microwave God. And that's an idol. That is just not the real thing. What we want is the kind of patience that we see so consistently in Scripture. I love the fact that in Paul's last letter, he's writing to the pastor of the church in Ephesus, to Timothy, and he says, reprove, rebuke, exhort. But he says in 2 Timothy 4.2, to do it with great patience and instruction. So Thabiti, never be impatient with what you haven't instructed about. Never be impatient at all. But if you're going to be impatient, at least make sure it's something you've been instructing about. Never ask people just to obey on a dime when, when they don't understand what you're saying. Teach from God's Word. Be patient. This is the biblical way for us to care for the flock of God. It's not our flock. This is not your flock. You did not die, as we said earlier, for this flock. This is Christ's flock. This is God's flock. 2 Timothy 2.24 and, and honestly, ARC, this is one of the things that I think your, your Pastor Thabiti models best as it is. 2 Timothy 2.24, the Lord's bondservant must not be quarrelsome, but be kind to all, able to teach, patient when wronged, with gentleness correcting those who are in opposition, if perhaps God may grant them repentance leading to the knowledge of the truth. I think in order to have this kind of patience, it's helpful to have a right perspective on time, on eternity, and on success. So if you're a real addict of my sermons, these are what you call subpoints: Time, eternity, and success. Time. Most of us think about time very briefly, five years, ten years down the road, if that. But patience in a pastorate, brother, requires thinking more like 25 years, 30 years, 35 years, 40 maybe even 50. I wonder if in Anacostia there are too many churches here that are marked by a kind of careerism in the pulpit where the pastor is there for a career, for a job, for a name, for a reputation. It's that way around the country. It's that way around the world. Praise God for all the pastors that aren't like that, but there are pastors that are like that. Brother, don't ever be like that. Don't ever let any success, apparently, the Lord may give you, turn your mind from this. You need to look and think, are you in this for the long haul? Is the Lord calling you to plant here, period? I pray he is. You know, stay with the congregation. Keep modeling. Keep preaching. Keep praying. Keep leading keep loving. I'm not saying it's never right to go from one church to another. I am so thankful you left Grand Cayman to come back here, you know? And I'm thankful for the years of ministry the Lord gave you there, brother. You served that church well. But it's also appropriate to take a long-term view of a pastorate. And you need to have that kind of perspective on time that I, I know you have. And number two, part of that, or it goes with that, is a perspective on eternity. As pastors, one day we will all be held accountable to God for the way that we have led and fed his lambs. All our ways are before him. He knows them all. He will know if we use the congregation simply to build a career. He'll know if we led them or left them prematurely for our own sake. He'll know if we drove the sheep too hard. 
shepherd a flock in a, in a way that you will not be ashamed of on the day of the Lord. As God's word says, do your work heartily as for the Lord rather than for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance. It is the Lord Christ whom you serve. For he who does wrong will receive the consequences of the wrong which he has done, and that without partiality. That's Colossians chapter 3. And number three, success. And brothers and sisters, you got to be very careful here. If you come to define success in terms of size, your desire for numerical growth will probably outrun your fidelity to biblical methods. You be very careful about thinking size is how you tell how good something is. And Thabiti, should you fall into such temptation, either your ministry to this people will be cut short uh, because you'll be fired, or what's worth, what's worse is it won't be. And you will have resorted to techniques to draw a crowd, and you'll have a crowd, and you may have adulation, but true praise to God will be lacking. And the Lord knows the truth of what's going on. Don't trip over the hurdle of your own ambitions. Pray that God give you an appropriate humility. Define success in terms of faithfulness. Know if you do that, you're in a position to persevere because you are released from the demands of immediately observable results. And to see if your 2016 goals were met, who cares about your 2016 goals? Love the people who are in front of you. Pray that he knows what he's doing by the next person he brings along. It seems ironic at first, but I think trading in size for faithfulness is the yardstick of success, is often the path to legitimate numerical growth. You know? You sound like you don't care about numbers, and what happens? Your church grows. Hmm. Why is that? Well, I think the Lord's entrusting his sheep to shepherds, you know, who will care for them. I was preaching last Sunday at CHBC on Numbers 15 to 30, and uh, to set it up, we had to go to Numbers 13 and 14, where the promised the children of Israel led up out of Egypt. They're led to the promised land. They send the spies in. Ten of the twelve come back with a bad report saying the Canaanites are too big. We cannot take this thing. Uh, they're too strong. We, we're not strong enough to take them. That was the report they gave. Now, friends, what was wrong with that report? Well, the Lord had never thought the Israelites would be strong enough to beat the Canaanites. The Israelites weren't strong enough to get themselves out of Egypt. God's the one who gotten them out of Egypt. God was the one who had done that. In fact, he picked a weak, a weak people just to make that point. That he is the one, it's his strength, he will get the glory. And he brought them to Canaan specifically to another strong people to make the point again, well, of course you're too weak to take this people. I never meant for you to take this people in your own strength. I meant you to do this in the strength of God. This is in God's strength that you're to do this. Friends, it's the same way with this church. If this church is to grow and prosper as it should, if it's to succeed as it should, it's things that you can't do in your own strength. And he means it to be that way. He wants to get the glory in any true church that's preaching his word. So, brothers and sisters, confidence for becoming and being a pastor comes from depending like that on God for strength, on his spirit for power, on Christ's word for our ministry. Think of 2 Corinthians chapter 3. Such confidence we have through Christ toward God. Not that we are adequate in ourselves to consider anything as coming from ourselves, but our adequacy is from God, who also made us adequate as servants of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. How does the Spirit make us adequate? What instrument does he use? God's Word. The Spirit uses the Word. All Scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for proof, for correction, for training in righteousness. Why? So that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. The one thing necessary is the power of God's Word. 
That's why preaching and prayer will always be paramount, no matter what fads top the charts. Preaching and prayer. So stake your ministry, brother, on the power of the gospel. And know if you're giving out the word of God like that, that your ministry is faithful and it is successful. Stay focused on these things in the world of competing priorities. Whether the church is 100 years old or one, we have to be patient because God will move in his time. Preach and pray, love and stay. That's the summary of this message, right? If you were zoning out for a little bit, welcome back. Come on back just for a second. Preach and pray, love and stay. Now you can act like you were paying attention to the whole thing. Preach and pray, love and stay. All right, that's the basic thing. Now, a word specifically to the congregation about your pastor. Most of the time I spent speaking to Thabiti and the other elders. But for other members here, I want you to realize that in this pastor, you have a precious stewardship. Uh, this is a, a gift from God. So I want to say a word to you about caring for Thabiti well for the long term. And again, I'll have uh, three sub points, all right, in my word to you, the congregation. But they all start with M. Money, marriage, and moderation. Money, marriage, and moderation. First about money. Look there in our verses in 1 Peter 5. Do you notice that phrase there in verse 2? Not greedy for money. Galatians 6.6 6 instructs you in God's word that you're to share all good things with your instructor, your primary teacher. Realize that Thabetes prospering as your pastor is not being forbidden by what Peter says here in 1 Peter 5.2 as greed. Now, I know some pastors are absolutely abusive of their congregations. But brothers and sisters, I don't think the BD is ever going to ask you for money for a second private jet. I don't, he's not going to do it. I don't think you're going to have to worry about that. All right? So I would encourage you to be generous with him. Seriously, Anacostia River Church, pray and act so that Eden and Aphia and Titus will never have anything but memories of how well you as a church have treated their, their parents. You're, you're putting gospel deposits in these dear friends' young lives by the way you treat Thibiti and Christi. If I can, may I share with you just one thing that the Congregation on Capitol Hill has done well for us, and your pastor now, Matt, actually led them in doing this. They've been generous with me and my family. They've always been kind to look out for what we've needed. And that's given us a freedom to give ourselves in ministry that's, I think, helped to create a culture of generosity. You want that culture here. And I think from what I can tell, you guys have that culture. I want you to continue that. I want to exhort you from a sister congregation, continue that spirit of generosity. Second thing about marriage. You know, one main way you can care for Thabiti is to care for his family. If, if Satan wants to take a pastor out, he just needs to aim at his wife. You know? Pray for Christy. Pray for her to love Thabiti well. You can get another pastor. This is Christy's only husband. You know, just pray for their marriage. Thabiti has taken vows before God to care for Christy. So care for your pastor's family. Let Christy do whatever she wants, so long as she is supporting Thabiti. You know, she's your sister in Christ, but because she is the wife of the pastor, she does not have a biblical office with biblical qualifications and biblical demands to be at every, every event that happens here at ARC. That is not true. That is nowhere in the Bible. She has a demand in the Bible to love that man. You let her love that man. And if love that man means sometimes she's not even here at church because she's doing something for that man, praise God. 
She's doing what she should do. She's obeying the Lord. All right? So you encourage her, celebrate the limits that Tabidi might put on Christie's involvement at some points. Congregation, Christie loves you best by loving Thabiti most. Keep that in mind. Pray for her in that. Last word with you, and that is to be moderate. Be moderate in your expectations of your pastor, even as gifted a man as he is. There is enough sin in any congregation to break the back of the strongest pastor. You know, moderate your expectations of Thabiti. He is your brother in Christ. He is not the son of God. All right? Thank God for him. Hold up his hands in prayer. Benefit from his sermons. Let him know when you're benefiting from him. But trust the Lord. Moderate your expectations of the beating. Well, I've spoken for quite a while now. You've been very patient. Preaching, praying, personal discipling, and patience. Brothers and sisters, the ministry has private discouragements and public disappointments aplenty. In God's kindness, too, it often has blessings in this life. But we will never be faithful ministers in anything other than appearance if we only consider the ministry in terms of this life. The BD knows that in most every talk I give on anything touching church and ministry, I often quote John Brown in a letter of paternal counsels to one of his pupils newly ordained over a small congregation in which he says, I know the vanity of your heart that you will feel mortified that your congregation is very small in comparison with those of your brothers around you. But assure yourself on the word of an old man that when you come to give an account of them to the Lord Christ at his judgment seat, you will think you have had enough. Friends, we have to remember the momentous work that we are about. Praise God for how he has blessed this first year of ARC's life. Know this is an answer to many prayers in our congregation. And may this witness last and burn bright for Christ here in Anacostia until Christ returns to claim his own. Amen? Amen. Let's pray together. Lord God, we thank you for your work here in this first year of ARC's life. Uh, we pray for more until Christ returns. We pray that many men and women today drawing breath, even, Lord, within a few blocks from here, who today do not know you, will come to know you. And, Lord, we pray you'd be pleased to use the ministry of this local church as part of that. Lord, we love you, and we entrust this congregation into your hands. In Christ's name, amen. Amen. Amen.